Great, thanks Joe. Um, I'm in Luke chapter 24. Uh, so if you've got it on a phone or tablet or you might even have a Bible, which is very old school of you. Uh, and again at home, Luke chapter 24, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you're in Acts, Corinthians, you're too far, come back. And I'm going to read, uh, I, I guess it's a relatively familiar account um, but forgive me if you're hearing this for the first time. It's an amazing account of um, two disciples on the, uh, just after the resurrection. And they're walking to Emmaus and um, they encounter Jesus, but they, they don't initially recognize him. Mysterious that. All three of the four Gospels um, give accounts of um, the, the disciples or women and they don't recognize the risen Lord Jesus. I often wonder what we're meant to make of that, these guys who lived with him. Um, literally apprenticed him for three years and they don't recognize him. Um, So let me read this account. I'm going for verse 13 of chapter 24 of Luke. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. (laughs) Jesus. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wow, just imagine that. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. want to offer some um, 
thoughts and reflections on, on that, not, not, a, not a sort of full-on preach necessarily, not going to uh, give you any more information. I often reflect, actually, I think we have way more knowledge and information than we, we know what to do with. The, the issue is, what, what do we enable the Spirit to, to do in working that out in our day-to-day lives? But maybe that's another sermon series. <laughs> So just some, some thoughts. And let, let, me, um, let me start with, with just asking, did, were you, are you, when you were kids growing up, were you in the, the family, whoever was in the family home, did, did someone, it was, I don't want to be sort of sexist or, or gender exclusive here, but it might well have been dad, but it could have been mum or, or someone else. Did they have, a, did they have a, a whacking great pair of binoculars? Somewhere out there, and and you, if you went out for a sort of a walk or you know holidays or something, you know, in my case it was dad. Dad would proudly brandish out of this this kind of curved, purpose-made leather case, but you brandish these binoculars and you know sort of uh, look at something in the far distance. So any, any is this is this kind of is that like alien or are we nodding with kind of yeah okay yeah, got it okay okay let me let me there's quite a few nods thank you very affirming. Um, so let me take it a stage further. Did you, if you had a, a sibling or someone else, sort of a, a contemporary, um, and you weren't into the kind of, you weren't into the kind of, because that's quite a grown-up thing to do, to walk around with a, a binocular case with binoculars in, and everyone and stop and take a stance and look at something. And that's, I don't, I don't know what you're doing there, Dad. But did you ever, if you could secretly get hold of the binoculars, and obviously, obviously, you had to put the strap around your neck in case you dropped them, Yes, Dad. But did you get them? Did you play the game where you look at the binoculars the wrong way around? Yeah? So, so something that's quite like... You play, I, play, I play with my sister. So my sister's standing just in front of me. But if you get them the wrong way around, she looks like she's miles away. And then, you, then what you do, the real game... Bear in mind, my childhood was before the internet. Okay? <laughs> You're looking at me. You can't get out of the just. So the real game, when you've got Dad and your sister the binoculars the wrong way around, so she's just there, she's miles away, is to, go, is to just spin them around. Whoa! Because she goes from miles away to boom, right up front. We we had fun. <laughs> These disciples have effectively done that with all that they knew about Jesus. Just just look with me in the text. I don't know if you if you sort of pick this up. Um, when Jesus comes along and playfully asks, oh, what are you chatting about? Like as if, <laughs> what, what things? Yeah, right, Jesus. Just kind of drawing it out of them. And, and, and look what they know about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. This is verse 19. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. So they've been around him. They've seen what he's taught and what he's done. He's, they, they've seen the miracles that have been affirmed by God and by the people around. Who is this? Oh, it's it's a prophet, Jesus, no, he's amazing. So they're familiar. But not only that, look, verse 20. Um, no, verse 21, actually. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. They're, they're anticipating something. They, they, it, there's, there's resonances there with a, a resurrection on the third day. He's teaching about not the temple down, I'll build, build it in three days. What does he mean? John helps us. No, he doesn't mean bricks and mortar. He means his own body. So these guys, they, they're kind of expectant. They're knowledgeable. They've been with Jesus. The, these are guys who are known by the 11. When they, they, they go back, these, these are nervy times. The 11 would have been really nervous. They got rid of Jesus. There are spies in the camp. There are 
there are you know, government infiltrators who are wanting to eradicate this whole thing. So they've been welcomed. They're known. They're in a circle. And yet, and yet somehow they've been, they've been reading the whole of Scripture, all starting with Moses and the prophets. Everything that they know, they've been reading with binoculars the wrong way around. So, so what is right in front of them seems a long way away. Here's, here's Jesus. Here is Jesus, the fulfillment of everything that Scripture points towards in what we know as the Old Testament. And he's standing, having fulfilled all those promises as the risen Lord Jesus, the one who would indeed redeem Israel. And all they can say in front of him is, oh, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And in one sense, on a human level, you have, you have sympathy with them because they're, they're hoping that the Messiah would overthrow all that was restricting them, that their current experience, that Roman occupation, they're not free to worship in the way that they'd like to. There are, there are, there's pagan religion all over the place. And so the rescuer, God's redeemer, is going to come to overthrow all this so that they can be free to be who God has called them to be. And not only has Jesus not done that, there he is hanging on a pagan cross. He's, he's died in their hands. This is doubly disappointing. Gutting. And so they allow their current context, the, the sort of all that they know around them, to, to, to kind of, as it were, keep the binoculars flipped the wrong way. And, and so Jesus, who's right in front of them, seems so distant. We had hoped he was, oh, we'll have to wait for another one. How long will that take? When will that be? And, and Jesus, that's why their hearts burn when eventually they, they open their eyes to look at the binoculars that have been flipped around. And that which had appeared to be a long way off is right in front of them. Israel's, the, the people of God, when we say Israel, we mean the people of God. God's chosen people, by definition, derivation through the ages, you and I, have been rescued, have been redeemed through Jesus' death and resurrection. And here is the resurrected Jesus walking with them. And he, he invites them to, to flip the binoculars around. See, the disciples here were in danger not only of not recognizing Jesus, but, but through that, through their non-recognition of Jesus, therefore not to recognize the whole story of God, which is centered on Jesus. And, and, and it erupts and evolves out of Jesus' death and resurrection. So they're in danger of, of missing the whole, God's whole plan of salvation, God's whole agenda for mission, God's whole perspective on eternity is, is, is in danger of being binoculared the wrong way around. We, we, we sort of know it and yet we don't. It's, it's right here and yet it isn't. And the, the challenge that I present to myself as I've been reflecting on this passage and preparing for today, and the challenge I, I want to invite you into is, um, 
is, not, is to resist the temptation to say, well, yeah, those disciples. But I, I, would, yeah, I know who Jesus is. I see Jesus. I see the whole story and how it plans out. I, I just in this, the first Sunday after Easter, as, as we're still in the afterglow of, of resurrection, uh, uh, and, and just allowing ourselves as, as best we can to get into that unbelievable sort of breakthrough, the reframe, the reset. Within, within our cultural context, as, as restrictions begin to lift, tomorrow, new freedoms, you can get a haircut. <laughs> you can do some non-essential shopping in person uh, and all sorts of other things. As the restrictions begin to lift, as we tiptoe out of lockdown and the impact of the pandemic, as we break through into a, a new landscape, as we, as we begin to write and create and live in a new future, here's the opportunity for us to just to assess. Have we allowed, are we allowing our culture to, to, to squash us into a worldview that, that has effectively flipped the binoculars, where actually Jesus is more distant from us because of the way we're viewing him and his word and his church and his kingdom plans and purposes. He's actually near and we're always miles away. Let me, let me try this out as a, as a I, just, I offer it as a theory. I, I just wonder whether very subtly our Christian worldview is, is we're looking at the world, our lives and those around us with binoculars the, the wrong way around. Let, let me try this out on you. I wonder whether your view of Christian living, my view of Christian living, is, is, to, is to kind of so sort my life that, it, that it, it works as conveniently and as sort of perfectly and as, as sort of beautifully as possible. Everything, everything fits and works so that, so that within all that I'm doing in my life, I have, we might call it, peace. And I, I work hard, I, I strive at that, at having peace um, around about, we'd know it as well-being. Um, and if I, if I can get a sense of well-being now, then what that's doing is preparing me for heaven. Because heaven is this unbelievable sense of well-being of peace, of harmony, of perfection. So if I can get perfection here, it will prepare me for when I'm there. That, I mean, that is just really good theology, isn't it? <laughs> One or two people shaking their heads. Gratifying. <laughs> but it's, it's alluring, isn't it? It's, it's, it's quite... Just, I don't think, I think that's awful of theology, by the way. I'll try and explain why. But it's alluring, isn't it? It's alluring. Oh, surely, if I, can, if I can get it all together now, I'll be ready for heaven. But that is the, that's the worldview I want to suggest of these two disciples. The little clue is in that verse 21. 
when the, you know, Jesus has become a prophet, he's done good. Hey, yes, this could be, he could be him, he could be him. And then, oh, but we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. In parenthesis, but clearly he isn't. Because they were expecting that God was going to redeem Israel from oppression at the end of time. And they've missed the fact that God has redeemed Israel in the midst of oppression and in the midst of trial, in the middle of time. And he's standing right in front of them. But because they're so convinced by their cultural worldview that God will do this at the end of time, they miss what he's done right now. If we view life as something that we get through, win at, perfect, and then we go to heaven, I want to suggest we'll miss completely what God is doing in and amongst us now. We'll be viewing life with binoculars the wrong way. We'll forever keep Jesus at the end. I live my life for as long as possible. Take out retirement plans, keep myself fit because I want to be you know, 50 and 60 and 70. I want to go on forever and ever in the here and now. And then eventually when my time is up, well, then I'll go to heaven. But the New Testament never talks about us going to heaven. The New Testament follows the wake of what Jesus has pioneered and surfed, which is he comes to us. Heaven comes to us. Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to pray on earth now, heaven, or as it is in heaven. And Jesus coming to brand new life in the midst of our pain and dislocation and suffering models for us what we are called to do. Not to wait until it's all over, but in the midst of it to enact the healing, the restoration, the power, the peace, the poise. God hasn't come in Jesus to free his people from oppression at the end of time. He's come in Jesus to free his people in the midst of oppression. We could say, if we want to apply this, in the midst of pandemics and COVID and restrictions and lockdown and loss of jobs and increased uncertainty and unbelievable stress and all the rest, you fill in your own dots. And in the midst of that, we don't wait to get over the pandemic and then Jesus. We go, Jesus, in the midst of the pandemic. Uh, controversial maybe. I have to, I've got conscious now that, you know, with the life I've got no idea who's listening to this. So, shall I say this? It's a horse that's going by. Shall I jump on it? Yeah, I'm going to jump on it. I, I believe that theology of, of, of do really well in this life, then, I, then that will prepare me for heaven is what undergirds the prosperity gospel. I, I get it all now. Oh, you're doing well. You, you'll, be, you'll have a mansion in heaven because you're clearly being blessed now in worldly terms. No. Actually, the New Testament talks about suffering, about hardship, about tests and trials. James, we've just been through James, and he said, consider it joy when you face tests and trials because you, it's growing that ability to recognize Jesus in the here and now. You know the danger of us sorting our lives out on our terms, having it all neat and tidy and comfy now, is that when we get to heaven, we'll feel out of place. And we, won't, we will be like these disciples. We won't recognize Jesus. 
But if we've learned to perfect our faith in trial, in suffering, in the here and now, when we're feeling knackered and we're feeling spent and we've got no more to give such that we need his resurrection power inside us, guess what? When, when, when heaven comes to earth, your kingdom come, your will, when he returns, do you notice that? We don't go to him. He returns. We'll recognize him as the suffering servant who was risen and ascended. Both and. In, in his perfect resurrection body, we know, because he showed them to the first disciples, he has scars. In his perfected heavenly body is suffering. And, and we are called to follow Jesus. We are called to go through that suffering in the here and now, with him right here, binoculars the right way around. I wish I, I, wish I had a pair. I, did, I have got a pair of binoculars because I'm a dad. Um, but I left them in the van. I took the van to the service yesterday, and I thought, oh, I'll just go and get an, ah. Oh. So I haven't got my visual aid. So, so you'll have to use your imagination now when I do this. Yeah. <laughs> so we flip them the right way around so that we see Jesus in the midst of all that we're going through. Spent as we are, weary as we are, tired as we are, because his resurrection power is at work in us, enabling us to live in such a way that when he returns, we'll completely recognize him. Can you imagine these guys, they, they walk with Jesus, all that. what a waste of a day. When they, oh, who's this guy? He seems to know a lot. They don't recognize Jesus. Their hearts burn. My, my heart sinks at the thought that I, I, I might not recognize Jesus because I've become so preoccupied in my worldview. Binoculars the wrong way, Jesus too distant. I've been, um, I've been listening to a, a guy on a, a podcast called Rebuilders, um, a chap called Mark Sayers, he's an Australian, leads as a senior pastor of Red Church in Melbourne, Australia, and um, what I find so um, inspiring about him is he doesn't, he doesn't preach, he doesn't, there's not any finger wagging or any sort of, you should do this, you should do that, you know. but he, he is just a remarkable 21st century Western world, world cultural analysis. And his analysis of where the Western world currently is um, and where he senses God is calling the church to be and to lead out of this, I, I, I find um, um, unbelievable. It's, it's, just, it's just so challenging and inspiring and frankly kind of releasing. It's, it stirs something in me. This is, he, he offers this about 21st century culture. He says, um, we, we, we're, we're more than an abundant culture. We live in super abundance. We have everything. We have, we have more than everything. We, we, we drive a, a Ford Focus. Do you know there are 57 different types of Ford Focus? Just Ford Focus. You can have all sorts of other Ford cars. But if you, you, can, you can tailor out of a whole range of... Have you ever had this? This is Mark says. He offers this. I, I thought, when I heard this, I thought, yeah. Um, you got an evening in. You think, oh, let's watch a film. Or let's watch telly. And you, so you could, you could. You've got iPlayer, maybe, or, um, or more for. You could watch all the sort of demand catch-up TV. But then you think, maybe you've got Amazon or, or Netflix. A few, few people? Yeah, yeah. So you think, oh, let's watch Netflix. And Mark says, have you ever had this experience where 40 minutes later, you're still scrolling through trying to decide what film to watch? 
And his, his observation, he says, and I have this, I think, oh, just, well, I've run out of yogurt. And he's, oh, let's go and get some yogurt. So I go to, it's just mini Waitrose. It's not even grown-up Waitrose. It's just baby Waitrose down there. But I go in, I think, yogurt, yogurt. And I, find, I finally find the refrigerator shelf. And oh, my goodness, I've never seen such a choice of yogurts. Do I want this with that out or with that in or extra this or none of that? Or you can get yogurt-free yogurt. Who knew? I'm so, and, I'm, and Mark says, he says, when we have too much choice, it anaesthetizes us, it paralyzes us. We, we, we become stupefied. And we are surrounded by choice everywhere. And it dulls us. And his observation, he just offers it, I pass it on, is that crisis, and for us in the West where where we have got used to fat on a plethora of choice and then lockdown and restriction and so many of our freedoms taken away and so many of the choices that we took for granted removed. And he says, actually, crisis, in relative terms, crisis spawns creativity. And he, he says, he, he wonders whether the, the Spirit is stirring something in us as individuals and as a church in this crisis moment. Maybe we're becoming closer to where James says, consider it joy when you face trials. When you face a crisis, when you haven't got your freedoms, when stuff is taken away, consider it joy, because then that's where God is at work creatively by his spirit. So, so I wonder, in this time, are we paying, or have we paid enough attention to what the culture is doing. For these two disciples, the culture was saying, uh, we've killed him, he's gone. And they, they bought in with that, oh yeah, we're, we're the occupying force, your little Messiah, look at him now, hanging on a cross, and go, oh yeah. And, and all that they'd read about the, 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 the saviour coming, all that they'd read about, and Jesus had taught about his own resurrection, he's kind of gone, they flipped the binoculars far away, oh, we'll have to wait for another one colluded with their culture that they couldn't see Jesus. And we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we any different? Are we, are we in subtle ways colluding with our culture in such a way that we've inadvertently, we've got the binoculars the wrong way around and we're, we're not seeing Jesus in the midst of test and trial and discomfort and weariness. Such that we we turn the binoculars around. Kind of just, Matt, why don't you come in the, in the band? We're going to, I'm coming into land, as I often say. Matt's, Matt's new here, he's doing a great job. Um, you'll get to know my little aphorisms. They play, some of them play phrase cricket with me, apparently. They have bets on how many times I'll say certain words. Yeah, I know. Just whether we will recognize Jesus in this time of trial, flip the binoculars around, see him standing. This is, the, this is, what's the point of the resurrection? The point of the resurrection is not so that we can get to heaven and there'll be someone there waiting for us, a welcome team. No, well, that is true, but the, more significantly is that the risen Jesus is with us now, empowering us now. Where you, where you feel weak and incapable, he, he comes to bring life and energy. Where we feel anesthetized by the plethora of choice all around, he, he spawns his creativity where we have no choice. 
He is the one who brings life to us as individuals and to his church. And we pray, this is a global event, Easter is a global event in the context of a global pandemic. Come on, Lord, for your creativity in a crisis, to awaken your church. Energizing us where we feel weak and tired. Envisioning us where we can't see beyond the next day. And releasing us so that our hearts burn as he reveals himself to us. Amen? Come on. Come on, come on. Let's stand. Let's stand. Let's just uh, before the guys lead us into sung worship by way of response, let's just pause for a moment. I don't know whether that metaphor is helpful, the binocular thing, whether you, you, you kind of want to almost consciously, you know, as you're scanning with your binoculars, where, where have you gotten the wrong way around? Where, where are your priorities skew? Where has culture, our, our, our so-called freedoms, all our privileges, actually they've anaesthetized us to seeing the vitality of the risen Lord Jesus walking with us now. I invite you as the Spirit uh, dances with us and around us and in us as He, as he uh, opens your eyes, as He speaks to your heart, as He determines your will, as He challenges you I invite you now to take this time. These guys are going to lead us in, in worship as just to create uh, time, space. For each and every one of us, it'll be, it'll be different for all of you. The, the, the applications, like, you know your life better than me. But what will it look like Monday morning and the rest of this week and the rest of this month and the rest of this year and, and on? To, to, to ensure the binoculars are the right way around and you see Jesus right up close as you're at your desk and you're in front of a screen and you're walking the dog or you're with the kids or wherever he calls you to live to come Lord Jesus risen Lord Jesus Remove the scales from our eyes. Ignite our hearts. Lord, we say to you this evening, we want to be a people whose hearts burn. In Jesus' name, amen.